Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm so glad you've taken time out of your day to join us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's all about you learning ways to keep more of what you have. Our websites, Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com. So over the last 25 years, probably about 25 years, maybe 30, I've had a love-hate relationship with a method of saving money called Series I Savings Bonds. These are sold by the federal government, the U.S. Department of the Treasury, and you buy these savings bonds and you earn whatever the rate of inflation is in the economy, reset twice a year. And there are times that Series I bonds have been screaming deals. I own some that I bought back in the 90s that will run out later this decade because they earn interest for 30 years and the ones I got then were such a good deal I wish they would just go on forever but you know not going to have that luck and I haven't recommended series I bonds except maybe one time in the last five years but now I can do so again as something for a small saver amounts from up to well up to ten thousand dollars in a year can go into series I savings bonds and the reason I'm recommending them now is it's not like you can get rich from them. The problem right now is that what you're earning in savings from a traditional bricks and mortar bank is like nothing. And so, I mean, it really is literally about nothing. Even if you go to one of the online banks that I'm always talking about, their interest rates have fallen and fallen and fallen from around 2% to now many are below 1% and still declining, and that's because of the economic decline we're in right now because of the recession we're in. So also in addition, the Federal Reserve is doing things to hold interest rates down indirectly with the moves they can make, some directly, but overall indirectly. So that means that savers are getting clobbered. And now you earn less on savings than the general rate of inflation in the economy. And that's why entering into your financial life potentially could be Series I bonds. Because it's the one way a saver can earn the rate of inflation. So you're not falling behind with your money. Which normally would not be something to jump for joy about. But if regular old savings accounts are making you basically nothing, every year you're falling behind inflation. So Series I Savings Bonds, you buy at savingsbonds.gov. Click on I Bonds when you get there. You'll see that you can buy up to the 10000 
in a year from very small amounts on up. And I think the minimum is 25 bucks that you can buy, or you can buy as many as you want up to the 10,000. Now, this is designed for you to have for potentially up to five years or longer. Because if you dump one in less than five years, you forfeit 90 days of interest. Not a big deal in today's rate environment, because if interest rates got much higher in the next few years, you could dump the Series I, pay your 90 days penalty, and put the money to work somewhere else. So every six months, the what you earn on the I-bond changes based on that six months prior inflation. So the idea is you stay even with where things are, which today being even is like a win. So check it out at savingsbonds.gov, and it's a pretty easy purchase. Understanding how all the adjustments work and all that, not as easy. And since you're buying them electronically, make sure you put notes somewhere when you bought them, what you bought, so that they're not forgotten about over the next potentially 30 years. It's time for your questions you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel taking turns. And Kim, you're up first. All right. This is from Linda in Louisiana. And Linda says, I got an email from Google No Reply saying, Notice of Class Action Settlement, RE Google Plus. Your rights may be affected. My question is, is this true? Do you know anything about it? So this is not a scam about uh, the Google Plus class action. Google Plus is the little known, almost never used Google competitor to Facebook years ago. And there were issues involved where supposedly Google did not do a good job protecting your privacy. And the Google Plus started almost 10 years ago and was shut down not, I think like a year and a half ago, but effectively, I don't know that anybody was using it for years in any real numbers. So the class action settlement will get you at max 12 bucks. Depends on how many people fill out the paperwork and all that. And so if you want to, you can file the document if you were using Google Plus, and it is legit. But as far as something worth your time, you'll have to make a decision. Because remember, 12 is the most you're going to get. Paperwork will take you less than 10 minutes to do. Joel? Clark Rudy in Florida says, I removed my escrow payments from my bank's monthly mortgage. Each month, I set aside the taxes and insurance into a, an account that I manage. I'd like to know if there's a safe investment for this scenario that's better than a savings account or a 6-12 to 12 month CD. No. Um, that one's really easy. You can't afford to put your escrow money at risk. And so you need to go in a plain, simple savings account or the CDs as an alternative, as you mentioned. You're not going to earn today more than 1%, but it's still 1% you'll earn that you wouldn't have had otherwise. The problem with any other strategy of investing Investing by its nature, the meaning of the word investing, 
is you're putting money at risk to hopefully get a reward, which means you could also lose money doing that. Kim? Kelly in New Hampshire says, Hi, Clark, and many thanks for all that you do. I faithfully tune in to you each and every day. In the grand scheme of life's problems, this is not a big deal, but I'm wondering the following. We booked a week-long hotel stay in part because it included a continental breakfast and an indoor pool. You guessed it, upon arrival, we were told that COVID canceled the pool and the breakfast. But there was no reduction in our bill. And I'm wait, wait, like, that's the greatest, because you specifically booked the place right. with the pool and a free breakfast, none of which you got. Correct. So uh, Kelly is wondering if you have any thoughts or comments about that. They did not give a reduction in the bill. So what I would do is I would look up the the name of the general manager, which is usually listed on the website of the individual location, write him or her an actual letter. Don't send an email. Send him a, an in-the-mail kind of letter. That shows a different level of concern and seriousness than an email would. And tell the general manager of the property that you specifically booked at their property for these reasons, you didn't get either of those things, and you feel that you deserve some kind of credit on your stay, and you essentially are at the mercy of that general manager wanting to maintain a good relationship with you. You also could uh, file a complaint on TripAdvisor, you know, put a TripAdvisor review. A lot of hotels monitor TripAdvisor very closely and respond to things posted there because the reputational harm they suffer as people know somebody else had a bad experience can cost them meaningful bookings. So I would try those two strategies because legally it it's not really a, a normal thing for you to be able to fight about because we're talking about something that, that was important to you, but what you got was you got the hotel stay, which is what you essentially were paying for with that week's money. Joel? Clark Donna in North Carolina says, my grandson is going to college this fall and the college is wanting credit card information. Should I be getting a credit card for him? And if so, which one's the best one? Okay, so I'm completely puzzled. The college wants credit card information. Yeah, that's what she says. Um. Uh, it's possible to just tell the college there is no credit card information to give. So what you can do, your your son could be made an authorized user on any of your cards. If you know he's very responsible with money, you could actually give him the plastic. Um, if the college just needs a card number for incidental charges that that he would have, through the fall semester, you could just make him an authorized user on the card, but not give him the physical plastic. And then the charges, that would be the number you supply the university, and then the charges would be posted. The other thing is that if your son has any prior credit history existing, in other words, he shows up in credit reporting, he could apply for a college student credit card. The easiest historically to get has been the Discover student credit card, although I don't know how hip people are right now on issuing college student credit cards, 
in the midst of coronavirus. If your son has no pre-existing credit, you could make him an authorized user, help him establish that identity, and then he could apply for a college student card. Kim? Joe in Arizona has a very general question. He says, who should not buy a fixed indexed annuity? Uh, everyone should I not buy might a fixed say that. <laughs> What's that? I thought you might say that. Yeah. I hate fixed indexed annuities. You know, these are unbelievably complicated products sold as if they are a really safe way for you to invest in the stock market. The contracts for them, it's not unusual for the contracts to be more than 100 pages long, and they are not a safe place to put your money. They come with extremely high built-in fees, something known as a surrender charge typically, which is a huge cost to you if you later realize, oops, this wasn't a good choice for you. The tax treatment is really poor on fixed index annuities. And let's see, what else could I say? Oh, you're capped the share of the market gain in each year that you can receive as part of them. The other thing is that in order to get the guarantee built into a fixed index annuity, you must own one for an extremely long period of time or the guarantees promised in the sales brochures and by the insurance salesperson generally don't apply. Other than that, they're great. I guess I didn't say anything good about fixed index annuities. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Gail joins us now on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Gail. How are you doing? I'm awesome, Clark. How are you doing? Great, thank you. So how are you surviving the ups and downs of coronavirus? Um, staying home, staying away from people, and, um, you know, just doing the best I can, like I guess most of us. Well, how can I be of service? Okay, so I am on a forbearance on my mortgage. Um, and the forbearance is coming up on end of September when it ends. So my loan is a Fannie Mae loan. I'm currently um, having some repairs done on my house, and I plan to list and sell my house as soon as possible. So my question is, um, since Fannie Mae made, or since they made deferrals available for people with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which one is better for my credit, to go to a deferral or to stay on the forbearance? Stay on the forbearance for sure, because that was done by statute, uh, you know, as part of the congressional response to coronavirus. And so you have the initial three months followed by an extension to six months, and you can extend for another six. In the area where you live, how quickly will your home sell? Very quickly. Houses sell pretty quickly here. So then I would say uh, do the extension of forbearance. You're, so this September will be six months for you? Right, yeah. So, so you can do the one more. And in that time period, uh, 
You're going to put your home on the market. You're going to get it sold. The good thing with the federally required forbearance is you're not reported as delinquent on credit reports. You go into anything else, you could end up with a delinquency on your credit, which you don't want, and it buys you time. And when the deal closes on selling your home, the money that was in forbearance, of course, has to be paid along with the remaining mortgage balance. And so that is a clean process, in theory, and that should work out best for you. How long is it going to take you to get the home ready for sale? Probably another three weeks, I think. Oh, really Um, short time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been working on it, and repairs and and updates should be done really soon. So I should have it listed um, by, you know, first week of September, I think. Okay, so you get it on the market. Uh, If you're right how strong the market is, you'll end up with the loan closed and you being out of there probably by sometime late October, early November, well within the time period of the additional extension of forbearance you will have requested. So that's that's the way I do it. And I wish you continued good health. And I hope that everything goes as smoothly as you anticipate on the sale of your home. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas to me so you can keep more of what you have. Our websites, Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com. So we went through some panic mode stuff, shopping back in particularly March and April, where a very large number of items disappeared from discount store shelves and grocery store shelves. Think about the panic that went through people when you got to go, you got to go, if you had no toilet paper in your home. Because people absolutely panic bought toilet paper and paper towels. And now that's not an issue. People have, uh, many people have multi-year supplies of those things and now you want that stuff pretty much you can get it certain other products remain in very short supply obviously we have this ongoing thing where you can't get the disinfecting wipes and you can't get things like disinfecting sprays it's been a fantastic time for the Clorox people and the Lysol people as the American people have become generally much more conscious of being in a safe environment to try to prevent the spread of germs. But I want to give you some peace of mind about groceries. You know, there was, after the initial thing with the toilet paper and paper towels, there were a lot of alarmist reports in the media that people were going to find food shortages widely. And I want to tell you that has not been a real story. There have been spot shortages of certain things. And I saw a a new chart recently in the Wall Street Journal about items available in supermarkets on a weekly basis. 
and the availability of product has gone up month by month by month since April. And now you're going to find items in stock at similar rates, just a whisker lower than it was before coronavirus. And this is true for both things we eat, and then a lot of people uh, go to supermarkets and they buy non-food items, which I don't support because you're paying more than you would going to a discounter or a warehouse club. But anyway, a lot of people at a convenience will buy non-food items in a supermarket. And the availability of those is pretty much on par with what it was before coronavirus. And there are occasional shortages of things. I had talked before about the shortages of canned soup as one area that had been a hard thing. Canned vegetables of various types. And uh, you may remember when I talked about that before, it's not necessarily the vegetables that are in short supply. It's the cans to put them in. And the soup's not in short supply. It's the cans to put the soup in. And the can shortage is going to take a while to resolve. You also may have noticed the price increases in supermarkets. Now, those are a natural cycle because the amount of um, supermarket shopping people are doing is up by a significant amount because people are eating out less and eating at home more, and it's just straight supply-demand kind of things. Supermarkets don't need to offer deals right now to lure you in, and effectively, that has led to a price increase over the last year that is as much as typically typical supermarket, your overall basket of goods is up about 4% from a year ago. Some categories are up quite a bit more. Others, the prices are down. So the overall impact is about 4% more. In the midst of that, there's so much uh, discount available in the marketplace as Aldi now is in 37 states and we've got people doing grocery shopping at uh, Walmart and big numbers, Sam's Club, Costco, uh, using the regional discount chain, BJ's Warehouse Club chain, BJ's Wholesale. And the real sleeper in the market that a lot of people are not familiar with, Dollar General has been putting in more and more fresh produce and refrigerated and frozen items in their stores, adding them steadily across their store footprint and offering price points generally lower than you're going to find at a traditional supermarket. It's time for your questions that you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. If I remember right, Joel, are you next? That's right, Clark. And Courtney in Georgia says, Clark, I am so happy with my current cell phone provider, but my phone needs an upgrade. And I'm unable to find deals on unlocked phones recently on your website. So could you please recommend some budget-friendly yet tech-savvy options for a new smartphone? So the line of cell phones that you should look at if you are comfortable with Android is look at the Moto phones. Uh, Moto has a variety of phones starting in the ones with um, most of their really, really nice phones in the $200 range from 
$200 to $250 most typically. And if that is within your budget, then the Moto phones are the sweet spot of affordable but featured budget phones that tend to have good size screens and decent capabilities. Um, the other option is to look used. And if you look on eBay for iPhone or Android, you'll find a lot of options available for used and reconditioned cell phones, most being sold by big players who do this for their living, look closely at the ratings, and only buy from people who give you a 30-day right to return for a full refund. Kim? Christian in Florida says, I have some pre-existing health conditions, nothing too serious, but I don't qualify for life insurance. So I've been wondering about mortgage protection insurance and if it's a good idea, what should I be looking for at the time of shopping? Do you have any other ideas that might be better? Okay, first, I'm really sorry about the pre-existing condition. And yours is a situation where if you have access to life insurance from an employer, buy it there. Because employer-provided health ins- life insurance is not as good as an individual policy. But for someone who has pre-existing It is a great option. The problem with the mortgage life insurance market is the premiums are usually 10 times market price for equivalent coverage for life insurance. And the purpose of mortgage life insurance is ironically enough to protect the bank, not you. Because the bank gets paid, they know they don't have to worry about the mortgage. For your survivors, it gives them the peace of mind of knowing they don't have to worry about an outstanding mortgage balance. Your bank, your mortgage company, will tend to offer at the portal where you could go look at your mortgage, they will have an option usually there where you can click to purchase mortgage life insurance. Usually it will not involve a medical exam. Just know that you're paying roughly, if you did not have a pre-existing, 10 times what the premium would be But in your case, that's irrelevant. I do want to tell you, though, talking with a life insurance agent would be a good idea because depending on the level of pre-existing you have, you may be able to buy a rated policy where you're charged more for life insurance, but that it would be a more affordable option per $1,000 of coverage than you would have with the mortgage life insurance. Joel? Clark Chris in Wisconsin says, would you ever refinance a mortgage to put more money into the market? I'm 35. My wife is 36. We both max out Roth 401ks, invest in an HSA, backdoor Roth. Plus, we save about $1,000 a month for college for our two kids. We have a house worth about $350,000 and we owe one sixty-five. Three years into a 15-year mortgage at 3.4%. So would it make sense to take money out uh, in a cash-out refi to lower that rate and get a bigger chunk into the market in an after-tax account. You're doing so many great things with your money. Don't take a good thing and turn it into a bad thing. I would want you to refinance your mortgage right now, though. And with the way you are about money, why don't you look at going from, uh, it was three years ago on the 15-year loan. Is that right, Joel? 
That's right. Exactly. So you have a 12-year mortgage at this point. I, w- I would like you to refi into a 10-year mortgage at a credit union. You'll get a rate substantially lower than what you have now. You'll be on a trend line to pay off the loan in a decade, be completely mortgage debt-free. And then if you want to increase putting money into the market, when you're done with the mortgage, just every month, the amount of money that you would have put towards the mortgage, put into the market, that's dollar cost averaging as you're putting in little chunks over time. But there's way too much risk in you taking a loan against your home to invest because if those investments don't do well, you still owe on that mortgage. So steady as you go would be great. With today's mortgage rates, getting that refi done with a credit union into a 10-year loan would be outstanding. Kim? KD in Illinois says, Hi, Clark. I'm considering diving into the world of purchasing tax deeds. However, I would really love to hear your opinion first. So for people who are not aware of what tax deeds are, it's where someone doesn't pay their property tax and you essentially pay the tax for them and then you have a right to earn a nice return on your money potentially and in many jurisdictions you could potentially end up with that person's house and there are dare to be rich road shows that go on around the country where salespeople tell you how much money you can make doing these kind of uh, tax deed things and I want to tell you, it is something for very experienced people to get involved in because the risks are not often talked about, but they are significant and meaningful in the event that you end up uh, paying the tax bill on a property that has serious issues with it. You get stuck potentially with those issues. You're paying money expecting to get a really handsome return and There are lots of snakes in the grass with it. So make sure that before you get involved with something like this, you become exceedingly knowledgeable about it and dip your toes in. Don't jump in with both feet. Dara's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Dara. Hi, Clark. I'm so excited to be speaking with you. Well, it's great to have you here. And you are one of those people who's going to control your future because you love to live on less than what you make. That is the goal. Um, My parents have taught me well, and a friend introduced me to your show recently, and I've been listening to you for the past couple months, and it only makes me more motivated to keep saving. So thanks for all the advice from your show. Absolutely. And what you're doing by living on so much less than what you make is you're creating options for your future where you choose how much work you're going to do, what work you do. If you decide you want to go take a year and go travel the world, you're going to be able to do that. I mean, whatever it is you want to do, you're creating the freedom within your life to do it. And you should feel really wonderful about that. (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. Thanks. (laughs) How can I be of service to you? Because it sounds like you got things pretty well tied up here. Yeah, so I am currently um, maxing out my target Roth IRA, and I also contribute to a Roth 401k through my employer. 
And then after saving money, such as having like an emergency fund in like a high yield savings account, I am wondering what do you recommend um, for investing beyond your retirement accounts um, and of course having like a nest egg to fall back on? Where would you put money that you have left over beyond those options? Okay, so let's go back to the 401k because I missed something there. Are you saving the max you're allowed in that Roth 401k? No, I am currently contributing 10% to my Roth 401k. And I hate to ask a lady this, but how old are you? I am 25. 20, oh man, you're saving money like a maniac. Good for you. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> so you have options here. The first best place would be to increase contributions to that Roth 401k up from the 10%. Because you're growing tax-free money. Anything else you do after your Roth IRA and your Roth 401k, you're going to have tax consequences that aren't going to exist in the Roth flavors. So that would be the highest priority is to increase the contribution rate to the Roth 401k. Now, in addition to that, you could have a regular investment account. Do you have anything like that now? I do. I have um, what I think is called an individual taxable account Okay, and that who's I've been that putting with? money into. Uh, it is with Betterment. Oh, that's a great choice. So, so yeah, I was wondering what your thoughts actually are on on those types of accounts. Um, very I mean, they low don't cost, have as many tax you know. Advantages. But. You know, Betterment is very low cost, and they use their algorithms to get your investment mix right based on your goals. And the advantage of the Betterment account is that the money that grows in there does not have to be specifically held back for retirement, you know, that can be used for many different purposes. The disadvantage is that it's taxable each and every year, potentially at Mm -hmm. more favorable over the long-term capital gains tax rates, but you would still have a better advantage increasing what you're contributing to the Roth 401k because if you decide to what age do you think you want to bag work I mean you're 25 now do you want to quit working um, as a have to in your 40s or your 50s or what are you thinking admittedly I'm uh, I like to be doing things so I have a feeling I will continue working probably into my 60s but oh it's hard to say at okay 25, you, d- you just helped me you just helped me definitely follow what i said with the roth 401k that is the best option for you is to increase that you want to have a little account with betterment fine but your big push moving forward is you want to increase what you have for your future is in that roth 401k because you're eliminating current or future tax on that money, especially with the employment cycle you think you want to have. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.